Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Melanie Curtis. And I'm Jason Malinsky. <laughs> Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow, and to contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust, trusting the entire journey. Yep. If you want to find us on the internet family, if you're just joining us, our website is trustthejourney.today. That's our website and our Instagram. So go there, like, comment, engage with us. We want to hear from you. Uh, If you want to join the Trust the Journey family and more intimately participate in these conversations we're having and get support. We have a Patreon community called the Trust the Journey family, and we welcome you to join us anytime. All you have to do is donate on Patreon in any amount, and we will add you to that private Facebook group. I have to say thank you to all of our patrons for supporting the show. You really do make this show happen. So thank you very much. And I do love every one of you. You're just a wonderful group of people. Mm-hmm. And I invite any of our listeners out there to please come on and join the Trust the Journey family. And you'll meet and engage with a bunch of other really loving, caring and nurturing souls who are looking to grow and share together. Absolutely. So, yeah, and we've made a decision to start looking for sponsors. The show, we're looking to expand. We want to grow. We've been putting in our time. We passed a big goal in a while back, which is our 100 episode mark. And we want to go, okay, this is the next step. So if you're interested in supporting the show in other ways and you think you might be a good fit, or if you know anybody who might be a good fit for our program, we're looking for sponsors or advertisers or anybody we might align with. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited. I'm excited for that. I feel like it is time and we will only take on sponsors just so that the audience knows and hears this directly from us. We will only take on sponsors that feel like an aligned values fit. So much like other people we admire in the podcasting space, we want to use our advertiser slots as ways to add additional value to you and them and ourselves. So the win-win-win is created. Speaking of win-win-win, I can't not mention Kimberly Joy Voice. She's amazing. She is KimberlyJoyVoice.com if you need any audio editing, podcast editing services. She's the bomb. So reach out to her. And yeah, if you want to find us personally on the old internet, Jay is on Instagram at Jason underscore Maletsky. And I am on, I am on, all my stuff is at MelanieCurtis.com. So, yeah, so not to forget, Melanie is a keynote speaker. If you're looking for to engage with her positivity and her <laughs> shining ball of light, if you would like her ball of light to radiate upon your community, you can reach out to her. <laughs> and I'm working with a wonderful group of people called the Desert Soul Collective, and we're putting on events in the western, southwestern part of the U.S., Um, And that's very exciting. We've got a bunch of stuff coming up this fall. So stay tuned for more on that. Yeah, more and more. It's good stuff. Good stuff today. Today we're talking about exactly some of the things that have led us here. Ritual and ceremony. Things that we do ritually. Things that we do ceremonially. What do we do in our lives that provide the structure and the backbone of who we are and help to give us that that they either help us to grow and change or they help us to have some consistency in our lives that uh, sometimes can very much feel like it, there isn't you know there's, there's with change as the true constant ritual and ceremony can be just so important so i want to start there yeah and see where this goes yeah yes and i would love to hear from you first, honestly, Jay, because I didn't think about it like that initially. It makes complete sense, this notion of doing things ritually and ceremonially ceremonially as a grounding exercise. That 
like as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh yeah, 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 deaf, duh, of course, uh huh, yup, shaking my head, right? But what I yeah. wrote down were things like weddings, graduations, like what are these ceremonies, rituals, like those types of things. But that, it, I yeah, there's, so, there's such a scale, yeah. right? Like the scale from the smallest little thing to like how we fold our napkin. Mm-hmm. to the biggest celebration or ceremony that we may ever attend in our life, which could be thousands of people, could mm-hmm. be worldwide. It's from the tiniest thing to the biggest thing. Yeah. And that's the thing about the the whole concept that is really worth kind of paying heed to and taking a moment to pull back and go, oh, yeah, making my bed every day is a ritual that I do in a particular way that structures the way that I feel about myself and Mm -hmm. how I start my day. And it may seem like a small little thing, but in relative to say a wedding or like a a graduation or some, you know, like a rocket ship launch or something, you know, like there's this infinite scale. And I'll I'll use one of our favorite jokes from PD Factory team. It's a Jessica joke. So anybody who knows Jessica might be able to remember this one. Is it hot dog awesome? Is that what we're talking about here? Or is this like space shuttle? awesome <laughs> which, which end of the scale are we on because hot dogs i mean hot dog awesome you're like i love a good hot dog yes. you know and then the other end you're like man this is like a spaceship which is <laughs> right. freaking awesome right. but both of those are awesome and, and our ritual has that same range to it it can mm-hmm. it can be anything from how we sit down to engage when we pick up a phone or have a call to the biggest moments of our lives yeah you know? yeah absolutely Absolutely. I, I'm a definite make my bed each day person because of exactly what you just described. It creates an energy in my space, in my sanctuary space that feels more together, you know, that feels more I don't want to use the word in control because control doesn't necessarily feel like a warm word to me when I'm talking about that. But it's nice. Can I I offer? I think it's like a predictable pattern, right? When there's like a level of predictability, there's a certain amount of comfort that comes. Like if we can anticipate the waves, like the ebb and flow, then they're not throwing us and we can ride them. And, and, and all the little actions that we do, the ritual of like placing our knife and fork on the table next to our little breakfast or how we butter our toast, like that, those little details may be subconscious, unconscious, or they may be very conscious about how we focus or honor each part of the things that we do. And um, I'll use yoga as, a, mm-hmm. as an example. If I found I may, because that's like a morning ritual for a lot of people to begin the day with some movement and some flow. And it's a very it's almost in in some cultures, it's religious. Mm-hmm. You know, yoga is a religious practice and it's a body movement ritual. So it's ceremonial to like move into this day of existence of here I am in life again, looking at the world through these eyes that I've been giving and I'm going to choose to engage it with this set of processes of, of yoga, um, meditation. Another one, I start almost every single day with a meditation, uh, five, ten, minimum 10 minutes, as much as 30 minutes of mm-hmm. just entering the space. And I love ritual and Sarah. I love it. It's so for me, there's, I can go, I can just ramble on. I'm not going to, I'm going to give you a I'm going to pause for a second. No, no, I love it. I love it. I really was curious why you posed this. I'm always very interested in the motivations behind things. And I find there's so much insight we can extract from anything that we do, whether it's ritual or ceremony or not. So when you pose the subject, I, I just liked it in general. I just was like, yes, let's do that. Even though I didn't necessarily have ideas ready or whatever. But I'm curious, why did you bring that forth this time? Uh, when we were scheduling this call, I was in Helsinki mm-hmm. uh, with my tattoo artist. Oh, cool. And so I was in a ritual setting of a practice, which is a, it's for me, the way that I approach 
tattoo work is it's a meditation. I'm very connected with the artist who's creating the work. We co-create the the work. We we work together on the idea, and it's a very painful process. Mm. Especially the, some of the one that I had done recently. Different areas of the body have hurt more or less, and so I'm not bragging in any way. 88 hours of tattoo work now, so that's time where you're consciously awake while somebody is injecting needles, you know, repeatedly into your skin, and it require. It's very ritualistic. It's it's very ceremonial and. In order to, I just had a bunch of work done on my belly Mm -hmm. and it's a very tender area Mm -hmm. and my umbrella breathes in and out, everything moves and the muscles respond. And so the reason the topic came up when we were saying, okay, what are we going to talk about this week? I'm like, well, I'm deep in this ritualistic space of like merging with somebody else, combining energy and he'll lay down the line of tattoo on my exhale Mm. and then I'll take an inhale and then he'll lay down the next line on the exhale. And so we're like rich for hours and hours and hours and hours, like seven hours straight. Wow. Like stop to take a pee for five or 10 minutes, but then back at it seven hours straight. So this is, you know, it's, it's ritualistic, it's ceremonial, it's deeply spiritual and there's a lot of intent behind it. That's the way I do it. Some I have friends that like to just grab a pin and start poking and make little tattoos on their ankle or whatever. A different <laughs> way. Everybody is welcome to do their life their own way. <laughs> right. For me, that it's it's very ritualistic. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Amazing. Oof. Wow. I'm just trying to even empathetically imagine that. I have two small tattoos on my body that are on my the top of my foot, and. Uh, Ouch. Yeah, yeah. It's the only place I ever wanted a tattoo. So I still love my, I love it. I love my tattoos the best, but um, yeah, wow. I can't even imagine. Would you be willing to share what they are? Oh yeah. Well, I say they, it's like more than one because basically I wanted a blue and green sun. I wanted a sun that was for me representative of skydiving and just my time in Australia, which was when I studied abroad there. And we've spoken about this at a much earlier episode on the podcast. And it was just a time in my life where I really came into my own and was on my own and learned more about my capability, made more friends and, and, and absolutely became a real skydiver because I got my license. I got through my student training and I really made the effort to make it happen myself. And so this also connected to, I don't know, for those of you who have listened to my audible book or read my book, you know, there's basically an entire chapter, entire column that's quite long where I write about my relationship with the sun. And so my tattoo is very, it's, it's very representative of all those things that are very meaningful to me. But anyway, the first time I got any tattoo work, I was in New York City with some girlfriends and we were like, let's get a tattoo. And I just like ran, went into the store and I was like afraid. I knew what I wanted, but I was like, oh my God, I don't know. I want to get it. So I got this like red and yellow thing that was like a sunburst and it looked like a scab on my foot for like three years. It was hilarious and stupid. And then I like when I finally went to the tattoo artist to get the real thing, what I wanted, which is probably the size of, I don't know, double two silver dollars, like pretty, pretty large, but not huge. I love it. And I integrated that first little tattoo into it. I didn't cover it up fully, but I covered it up in part so that it was a part of the new one. And the ridiculousness of my first attempt was still evident. So yeah. So yeah, that's, that's my story. It wasn't necessarily didn't feel ritualistic in the actual doing of it, because I was so young and this and that. But the I think the expression artistically is the ritualistic part for me there because tattoo work feels very much to me like it has to be meaningful and artistic and personal to me to do it that's how I feel about it and so that's what that that's what it was 
I feel kind of the same way, but it's really interesting to just observe the fact that anything can be done in a ritualistic way or a ceremonial way, mm-hmm. or it can just be done without mm-hmm. any thought. And and I think some, some somewhere I listened to uh, either a podcast or a meditation, which had to do with uh, Buddhist monks and how they fold their robes. Yeah. Right, And the folding of the robe, and much like the folding of a flag, is a very ceremonial process. You know, mm-hmm. it's very important and very thoughtful and a lot of energy and consideration put in just to make sure that it's done just right. And there's some value in this that we don't, it's really hard to quantify why that brings us to some kind of a state within our being that is contented or peaceful or more focused or more calm. And I I can relate from my athletic career in so many ways. There is just ritual after ritual with how I would put my how I would put my gear down, where I put my equipment, how I lay it out, the order of operations for gearing. Like it becomes like very, 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 very structured. Yeah. And I, I would look at that like the the monk folding the robe as in the exact same way I would fold my parachute or mm-hmm. don my equipment. These things are, to me, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 it's funny. Just thinking about it from this frame. Another column that I wrote, another part of my book is about how I talk about doing the laundry in this way. And it's basically this connection to meditation. So I've almost thought about it as that, like how do we become meditative in everyday activities? But I like this notion even more of not necessarily turning everything into a ritual because that feels like overkill to me. It feels like, you know, overdoing it, you know, almost like being too afraid not to do something ritualistically versus selecting what am I going to do ritualistically and how is it serving me and being insightfully curious about the the feelings it elicits and the support it provides. So yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I love it. What else? So let's switch the frame and tell me about some of the bigger concepts that you had um, notated before we started talking. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about that, you know, the very classically accepted ceremonies and marking of milestones, which I'm a big believer in. I'm a huge believer in milestones and celebrating milestones and stuff like that. Um, I have an interesting sort of love-hate relationship with certain things because I'm like, I don't really want to do what everyone else does. And at the same time, I want to mark milestones. And, you know, I, I think weddings, for example, are actually really great from the perspective of being held accountable and expressing commitment with the people that are there to hold you accountable. I think certainly (laughs) there's a lot that can be said about weddings that I think completely sucks. (laughs) You know, so I'm just going to be straight about that. Like there's no way I'm going to do another wedding the way that I did it before. It's just never, I'm never going to, I have no interest in that whatsoever because it felt very fake and very forced and very inauthentic. Um, But the creative part of it, the creative part of expressing felt really good. Um, But yeah, I think when I think about those very traditional expressions of ceremony, I think it's super important for us to connect to the real depth of why you'd be doing it versus the just participation in something societally in something society has set up for us. Yeah, I've been to a few weddings in my life. I think maybe like a dozen, maximum a dozen. I don't say that I've gone to a lot of them and there's been some scale from like really cool, loose, hippie, fun, very, actually very thoughtful, but, you know, very deeply 
ritualistic. Like I went to uh, Mu and Kim's wedding at mm-hmm. the eclipse. Beautiful. They got married during the solar eclipse. Amazing. So, you know, it's like connected to a celestial event, you know, and it was a group of loving friends and it was very relaxed and it was just outside and like playing singing bowls and mm-hmm. and just like really just uh in in harmony with nature yeah. and not very structured just really like just accepting and really beautiful and and it was you know complete polar opposite from other types of weddings that i've been to which have been like highly structured very religious yeah. and there's like all this all the structure around it and like you said you know it's a and it's not questionable even, the value, right? Yeah, yeah. And and listen, I don't even have any judgment about people who want to participate in the societally structured traditional thing. I think that I think that's fine too. Um, and I, it's funny. I'm actually officiating my nephew's wedding in October. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Like, there's so there's. I really love the the notion of ceremony, absolutely, and of really pomp and circumstance around things that are really important. I'm totally fucking into that. So yeah. I don't want it to come across like I'm not into weddings. It's more that I think there needs to have this intention. Like I think it would be it just, and weddings is a good example, but this makes me think of Priya Parker and the book she wrote called The Art of Gathering. And yeah, it's, I've read it. Yeah. it's an incredible book. I highly recommend it to anyone who is wanting to create intentional gatherings and learning how to hold space for the intention that you put forth and enforce the boundaries around the space that you intend to hold, which is really amazing and powerful and creates experiences that are, can be unusual, but are trustable because they are set forth with this intention and because they are held with such, uh, intention as well. So that is what I'm more talking to or speaking to is that like, how do we make any of these rituals or ceremonies that we decide to participate in? How do we bring that intention to them such that they can bring us that value that we're hoping to get out of it? Yeah. Yeah. Did you grow up in a, you know, you didn't actually, you've told me before you didn't grow up with a lot of religion, right? No, just some, a little bit of Christian influence. We went to church a little bit, but not really. Yeah. In in my household, there was quite a lot. We did a lot of, uh, you know, church up to three times a week. So Mm -hmm. we would always go on Sundays uh, and oftentimes go on Saturday or a Wednesday or Friday night for like a, you know, Bible study or youth groups or that kind of stuff. And I also had things early on like Boy Scouts, where you would gather on a weekly basis and it's quite ceremonial it's a little more loose it's kids you know it's a little more fun but you put on an outfit like you get Mm -hmm. dressed up you put on a specific robe like this is this is the attire for this event and whether that's like a sports team or whether that's boy scouts or girl scouts or whether that's going to church but there's a special space there's a container that's been created by some people who've taken the responsibility on of being the holders of that space and then it's going to we know it's going to have a start and an end and during that time the curators of that are going to be the ones that you know walk through the timeline of that ceremony and it's interesting that there's so many versions of that in our culture from a book club to um you know full-on deep religious ceremonies uh to funerals like funerals are a great example of ceremony Mm -hmm. in our life Mm -hmm. and how we how we could approach those from any particular point of view or cultural aesthetic or tradition. Really interesting. I think one thing that's notable about the bigger ceremonial things that we choose to participate in, like for example, my nibbling, and this is a word I actually just learned. So in the 
a gender neutral term for niece and nephew is nibbling. And I didn't know that because my nibbling goes by they has uses they them pronouns. And so I was like, what, yeah. what do I call them? I wasn't sure. So actually, I was very excited to learn that term anyway. So it was my nibbling's cool. graduation. And one of the things about those ceremonies is that people show up for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that this is something that I think is interesting to look at because that is, I think, important when people show up for you to help you mark uh, an occasion or mark a milestone. And if we only use the things that society has put forth for us and say you don't graduate from school, say you never get married, say you don't have a baby and you don't have a baby shout, right? Like all these things that are very traditionally held, but there's a lot of people well, that- Western culture yeah, tradition, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. don't do those things. And then they're left with sort of nothing to, unless they bring forth, like for example, I just, my best friend Shannon just turned 50. She's amazing. We love her. We've talked about her a lot. And I, we did a surprise birthday party for her. And it was, she mentioned it like months ago that she like hoped ev at some point in her life to have a surprise party. And then immediately, as soon as she said, it, I was like, oh, well, Del, we're doing that. I didn't even tell her. I mean, of course I didn't tell her, but immediately we got to organizing it. But that's a good example of, of you wouldn't normally have a big birthday party for yourself at a later age even though that's totally awesome. You know what I mean? But typically people wouldn't do that unless their family put it on or this or that, right? So it's just something like, how do we advocate for ourselves so that people can show up for us when we don't participate in the, in the societally held traditions of ceremony? Yeah. Sorry, you got me giggling. No, go for it. What's, what's funny? <laughs> no, no. Um, I went to, I've uh, been to a few of my friends' birthday parties. I love uh, 40, it. 40th birthdays. So yeah. I, my last trip before COVID was, um, uh, one of my last trips I've had a couple back-to-back -back was to Australia to go to my friend Wildy's birthday party for his nice. 40th. And I also went to Duke's 40th. <laughs> and it had some structure to it, um, but it also had some hilarity to it. And um, <laughs> I was just thinking about about 40 or 50 people dressed in tutus, wearing mustaches and wigs of all colors, <laughs> uh, sledding down the Alps while enjoying some LSD. Amazing. Quite the, quite the gathering. Quite Amazing. The gathering. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely into birthday parties. I'm into it for sure. Feel so, free to throw uh, me a surprise fiftieth. Just saying. <laughs> I, I want. I want to have a big party for my fiftieth. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I, I do. It. I want to. I want to have a big birthday. I haven't been very good at accepting self love mm -hmm. uh, with my own with myself. Like I've never. I've had a couple of birthday parties. I've tried to be like better at like allowing myself to receive love from others but i haven't been very good at it I, I i've done some really kind of depressing birthdays where yep. i just kind of like hide away and stuff and yeah, so yeah you yeah. know being the center of attention can be can be hard and uh so let me pivot a little bit yeah um because i've there's so many versions of this and like it's just endless but endless. one of the ones that i've been that's kind of that's more structured. And actually, there was an event just last week. Uh, the World Games just finished up last week in Birmingham, Alabama. And so that's an Olympic sanctioned event. The Olympic um, Foundation or puts it on and it's where they trial all the sports. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I mean, there's I mean, a stadium yeah. with 60,000, 70, 80,000 people in the huge stadium, just like the Olympics. And you have all the countries and all the competitors who parade in just like the Olympics and they fly the Olympic flags and the world game flags and you march around the entire stadium. I didn't attend this one, but I've been to three in the past. 
and I've been um, lucky enough and honored enough to have won a couple of these. And the ceremony that comes in relationship to uh, you know winning a World Games or a World Championship or something, that whole podium ceremony and the honoring and the, the plate, you know, the like step, like having your names called and stepping up onto the podiums and then placing ribbons around your neck and mm-hmm. such bottles of champagne or giant trophies or wreaths or whatever the circumstance might be. These, these ceremonies are really something that's been a test of time for our species, you know, like mm-hmm. we've been doing this for a very long time and it's mm-hmm. a, a celebration of our potential, you know, where we challenge ourselves to accomplish some feat physically, mentally, team or individually. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we challenge each other, we challenge ourselves and then the, the best are, are celebrated and honored. And it's a really, I have to say, I'd been to lots of competitions before I ever went to like a a world games. And there's no comparison between uh, a skydiving world championship or world cup and a world games. World games is like going to the Olympics. Mm. They're they're completely different scale. A world championship in skydiving might have a thousand people at it. If you're lucky, it's probably four or 500 people. This has 50, 50, 60, 70,000 people and it's huge TV screens and, you know, cameras everywhere and an incredible experience. So I just wanted to take a minute and reflect on the, the, the ceremony of the whole thing from the, the opening of the event fireworks and, you know, the event is now open. There's bands that play and performers and dancers and then, you know, like the full, full on show to just open the event. And then there's a week of competitive events, everything from um, sumo wrestling to boat racing to drone racing to skydiving, like every single thing you can imagine. And then all the podium are all the podiums are given, all the ceremonies are placed, all the winners are recognized. And then there's the big closing ceremony at the end. And the same thing with all the performances and the honoring and the flag carrying and the medal counts and, the, you know, uh, the, basically the tribes, the mm-hmm. countries carrying their their flags and seeing how many medals they each go home with. And I can see how this would have been in the years thousands of years ago when it was literally like tribal gathering of the different clans coming together and you know in the summer and playing their playing their games together yeah and it's just evolved into a different you know, modern version gosh so interesting I, I you know there might i love it the other side of the coin is Oh, I just, I don't know why my brain's going to this place of like who the people who can't get there, who can't access that, you know what I mean? And how it maybe inspires some people and, and, uh, disheartens others, you know what I mean? In a way, which sounds so depressing. I don't mean to be depressing about it, but it's true. You know, (laughs) there is an exclusionary element to some of these things. You know what I mean? Everything, everything in life is like that. Yeah. Oh. Everything's life is like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the empathetic part of me is like, oh, those peeps that can't do it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but it's, but it is, it's special and it is motivating in its own way. It gives you something to reach toward. And I know you've shared this a number of times on the podcast, how as wonderful as those ceremonial celebratory peak moments are they also are not really deeply fulfilling either per se. Yeah. I mean, it's like going to a concert, right? If you go to a concert, thousands of people get together, you go and you experience something that kind of unites everybody's energy around a certain experience. You all sing your favorite songs. You hear your favorite band or performer, you know, play something that that you that excites you emotionally and you go home having had this experience and you're filled with whatever the rush of endorphins and everything from that experience but those endorphins go away afterwards and yeah the song still remains like your favorite song but you kind of like the whole fact of being at the concert doesn't really stay with you it just right. s- still your favorite song you know? right right yeah it's so yeah. true 
Yeah, gosh, I don't know. It's it's such an it's an interesting topic, you know. I mean, I I think partly why I wasn't necessarily sure what to put down is because I'm still really inundated with a lot on my plate. And so that has Mm -hmm. kept me from, and I don't say that as a lack of ownership, I'm doing it, I'm choosing it, I'm, I'm working through it. But my, the reason I'm sharing this is I think this is a potentially useful part of the discussion is to notice when our engagement in these supportive rituals, maybe we don't meditate as much, maybe but we stop making our bed, maybe that or whatever. We stop exercising, exercising, we stop doing our morning yoga or whatever your thing might be the supportive thing to watch for that and see that as maybe a clue to needing a recalibration. And that's where I am basically is like, I'm not, I'm, I very much still make my bed, but there is also this other part of my current existence where it doesn't feel very in control. And I use that word again, not necessarily as a negative or positive, but as a notion of there, I don't have enough groundedness in my existence at the moment because I just came back from a three-week trip. I love it. Again, this is all wonderful, positive choice. I was very happy to go and spend three weeks with my folks and go to Shannon's for her birthday and bring Matil up there. And and I'm just now getting home. And and so I'm I'm out of that routine. I'm out of those sort of ritualistic activities that ground me when I'm home. You know what I mean? So I'm just now getting back into those. And I'm just now starting to feel the renewed support of those things. So anyway, I just thought that would be useful to share because I think it's important to watch for when we start to feel that disconnection from groundedness. And you're on to a really key point for me is whenever I travel, I have a very difficult time maintaining my my rituals. Yeah. Um, so, so I'll give you the one that I did a great job. This is me patting myself on the back. I brought some ritual with me into my last couple months of travel. I've been on the road for two months now. And I brought my athletic greens and I brought my protein powder and I start my morning by mixing up my green. I start my morning with a meditation in bed for 10 minutes and then I get up and I go and mix up my greens with some lemon juice and I mix up my protein powder and I'll grab a banana and some blueberries and then I would start my day with that. And, And just... I mean, this it sounds silly, but if you're traveling into a remote little village that only has a dozen people that live in it, there's no grocery store, there's nowhere to buy food. I have to prepare to bring those things with me. I have to have the bottle with the shaker in it. I got to make sure I get the lemons for the greens and I got to make sure I have enough to last me the whole time. And just to not get distracted by... Oh, I got to run out the door and get started, you know, socializing with the other people that are here or engaging Mm -hmm. in whatever project I'm engaged in, you know, running up a mountain or getting to work on something and just saying, no, first things first, I've got to take care of me. I have to take a few minutes to center myself and be in the right mind frame. I have to put the right ingredients into my body to make sure that I'm ready to move into the next, you know, whatever task set I have ahead of myself. And so I've done really well and I managed to carry that from uh, it was easier when I was staying still. I was in one location for quite a while. And then when I started moving around, it got harder and harder because you're like, okay, yeah. now where's my stuff? Mm-hmm. When I wake up, is it handy? And now even worse, I run out. I don't have any left. And now I got to start the day and I'm like, okay, I don't have any of the things that I ritually prepare for myself. And I feel disrupted. Yeah. I feel disjointed and I'm I'm not as focused I'm not as productive or I'm just not as grounded in myself Um, so I think that's kind of like rewind the tape the whole point of ritual and ceremony to me is to like um, either highlight and celebrate like to bring attention to one thing or to 
with the ceremony, like the celebration side of thing, like let's let's sell, let's highlight this or let's put structure around something and let's be ritualistic around it and let's do it with the repetitive intention as a foundational grounding exercise. And whether that's, like you said, a daily yoga routine, a meditation, even just taking a deep breath on a regular basis or always giving your loved one a hug or looking yourself in the mirror and telling yourself that you love yourself in the mirror. That's a, there's a good one. I love that right. one. That's a good one. Yeah. It really yeah, is a that's good, a good one. one. Yeah. yeah. Hal Elrod wrote a book, I think, called Miracle Morning. Uh, I think it was Hal Elrod. But anyway, I, I bring that up because it points to this idea of having some kind of ritual in the morning that establishes our day. And yeah, I've experimented with that a lot. I've waxed and waned over the years on using it and determining what best serves me in the morning. Um, But yeah, I would invite people to consider that because I am with you that there's something very supportive and grounding about starting our day with the things, with the same things when possible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've really learned from taking some time to observe myself and see how I react to uh, a number of different like ways of entering my day. And so if we're just using this topic as the example, alarm clocks completely set me off. Like they do not do me good. An alarm clock really puts me in the wrong state of mind to start my day. I'm shaken, uh, um, frustrated, I'm angered, I'm I'm disturbed. And so if I do have to use an alarm, I've learned how to choose an alarm type, like a light alarm or a a vibration. Like I do much better with like putting a a phone on vibrate and putting it under a pillow or something. So there's just like a little, like a little nudge Mm -hmm. rather than have something like, eh, eh, like the old, you remember those old alarm clocks that sit, I I remember being like 20 years old and one morning just like completely killed that thing. Like the thing went off and I was just like angry young man, just like smash, like that (laughs) alarm clock's dead fuck you alarm clock (laughs) like i'm that angry that i just annihilate the thing oh my god i've gotten to this point where i like i find these really beautiful soft pieces of music that start with like a really like light note and i'll wake up to something that's like really comforting and warming and i'll set the volume really low so that it doesn't isn't abrupt in any way and ease into that state of wakefulness. And then I hold a minimum of an hour of yeah. I'm not available to anybody yes. for anything yes. for that first hour. And so that ritual of like, that's my hour to like come into a place where I'm now ready to be present. And that timing of that has to, it usually has to be like, I won't do anything before nine o'clock uh, when it comes to like something like this. Like I wouldn't take yeah. this call at 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. because I'm just not going to be, I'm not going to be in a good place. You're not going to get I'm, a good version of me. You know? I'm pretty haggard. I'm pretty haggard this morning. <laughs> you're, I'm getting here you're at 830 in the morning. You look was awesome. Our, was our meet time. I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. But yeah, it's so true. I'm with you. Oh my God. One of the pieces of, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily feel like ritual per se, but it feels like it fits into this conversation is I really do my very best to let myself sleep as long as my body needs. And two thumbs up. Yeah. Like I do not like alarm clocks at all. I don't like getting up early, but I am not lazy. And so like, it's part of balancing the intensity that I bring to my work and the, my need for rest and recovery. So it feels like an indulgence, but it's not. It feels very much like it, it actually is a necessity to the balancing of how much effort I put into the things that I do. And so 
yeah, what I really want, I we've said this a million times, I'm super, super committed to this show. So here and there, when necessary, when other things won't work, I will get up earlier to do this show, or I will stay up later to do this show, or I will have one call on a weekend to do this show. But like, for the most part, I'm not going to do those things because those are part of that like morning routine. That's part of what I have determined are my needs. Yeah. I want to touch on another version of ceremony or ritual. And it's one that I know both of us celebrate. Um, and it's one I want to bring up because I want to encourage people to, yeah. to in you know, go and explore and maybe retry again if you haven't been found this or haven't connected to it. And it is a sacred dance. It is yeah. dancing. So there's there's so many versions of dance, right? There's everything from like dancing alone in your living room, like nobody's watching, just you dancing. And that's a beautiful thing to couples dancing where you're like really engaged with somebody else to the full on ritualistic, like tribal, big group of people, everybody dancing together. That could be anything from like a bar mitzvah where everybody's dancing in a circle, any kind of traditional tr dance to where I find most of myself now in the modern, like the electronic music mm -hmm. and everybody um, with a large sound system and getting out and just dancing for hours and hours and hours through the night together and celebrating the freedom of expression and that ritual, that connective energy of expressive connectiveness and receiving from each other, giving to each other, receiving the music, the music being healing, the expression being healing. I've literally gone to dances with like a busted ankle or a back <laughs> that's aching and gone home feeling healed. Yeah. Because they're so they're so healing. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Gosh, I love dancing so much. I am so it's so clear to me how necessary being in my physical body is to me for balance and, and sanity. It's so, so important to me. I have a really and I think a lot of people listening probably can relate to this of a really busy monkey mind and a very forward focused, anxious, anxious, anxiety prone mind where I just I don't I get depressed sometimes, but I don't get depressed that often. I'm not really ever in the past. My mind doesn't tend to hang there. What it does do is it goes forward trying to predict, trying, trying to control. That word's come up a number of times. But like, so this, this notion of harnessing control in a positive sense. And for me, dance and sacred dance and being in my body, being physically connected, just very much connected to my body is helps me get breaks from that monkey mind from that anxiety prone forward focused tendency it brings you into the present moment absolutely yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting to just like if we just self-analyze for a second when it comes to like the ritual of dance and ceremony if we look at all the tribes of the world like every indigenous culture around the entire planet and everybody dances like there is a tradition of dance in our species that goes back beyond a, a recorded history and it continues to this day in every version of every culture that there is there is dance and there is celebration and so i really it, I've taken, if you know me, I've taken it upon myself because when I found this ceremony of dance, this ritual of dance, I found another part of myself. I found a part of myself that didn't, I didn't know was there. I found a part of myself that was happy, hmm. which I didn't have. The rest of the time, I wasn't a happy guy. Hmm. I was very unhappy. 
I had a lot of things around my life that were really hard and I held on to a lot of pain, a lot of attachment, I had a lot in the past. So I was behind myself. I was stuck on all this pain that I'd been carrying for, and the dance did the same thing for me that you're saying is it took me out of that past and it brought me into this now and I forgot about all that stuff enough to just be and be present and 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 suddenly I'm celebrating and and my body celebrating and I'm moving and and there's an, something happening and I don't know what it is and it doesn't matter and it doesn't matter and so the reason why I play music and why I DJ and all that is because I want to create the whole create and hold those sacred spaces for people to engage in that activity so that they can leave that forward monkey or backwards mm -hmm. pain holding attachment minds and be present in the moment and connect with others who are also being present in the moment and and have those ritualistic ceremonies and so Desert Soul Collective, I love you guys. Thank you to all my ritual friends. We throw on, put on these events specifically for this reason. All my people, all the family. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I love that. The, I mean, funny. The I mean, we've talked plenty of times about the plant medicine ceremonies. Why I want to bring that up at the moment is. Not because you can list a plenty of episodes where we go into depth about these, but how, you know, how I just mentioned that, like, oh, I'm very forward focused. I don't really look at the past. That's one of the things that the plant medicine ceremonies helps me do. Like whatever pain I might still be holding because I am not looking back there, right? Because maybe mm. I'm avoiding it or maybe I'm just so trenched, neurally trenched to look forward, right? That is one of the things that plant medicine ceremonies help me do is meet those old things, meet those old pieces of pain that need to come up and out. And it's the value in that space is obviously very just unparalleled. It's completely transformative. But so are these other spaces potentially as well. So I don't necessarily, there's no hierarchical share here. It's more just to say yeah. for me personally, because I don't necessarily have a strong skill set of going back and looking back, you know, I, that has helped me a lot to do that and to heal and purge that stuff. So I'm very grateful for the, that ceremonial space being held as well, because I think otherwise it would be harder, take a lot longer. Not that it's not hard in ceremony, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's notable yeah. to me that that ceremonial space helps me do something that I'm just not typically quote good at in my waking life or automatically prone to do in my waking life. It's interesting how the different types of ceremony and ritual can move us forward or backward. Like they can bring us into the present moment they can help us to anticipate the future and like prepare ourselves for something that's coming mm -hmm. or they can bring us backward. Uh, yeah. I, I was just thinking about yoga as, mm -hmm. as you were having that you know, discussion there. And I was thinking about how I, I did yoga pretty consistently one to three times a week for a decade. And it, very ceremonial, very ritual, like every Tuesday, every Thursday, out to yoga, 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 yoga. And you arrive with like, I have a certain clothing on, I have my, I'm prepared, I have a certain mind state, there's a certain level of volume, quietness, consideration, respect for people's space, uh, the different, and, and I sometimes I could, God, I fucking dreaded it. God, I, like, oh, God, I don't want to go, man. I, don't wanna, I just don't want to go. And I would always feel better after a hundred percent. There's only ever been one time out of a thousand times that I've gone to where, where I was like, okay, I'm, I don't feel better. I'm angry. I'm ang just too angry to, to do <laughs> yoga right now. But the 999 other times, you know, it's been something where I like, even if I went there going, I hate this right now. I've still felt better afterwards. And so that yeah. says something about not just in connecting to the physical body, but the, the ritual and the ceremony of it all. And just yeah. kind of handing over the keys 
And this is the control piece that you mm-hmm. were talking about. We're like, okay, well, making my bed is a form of control, but it's also a form of releasing control where I'm like, yeah. I'm just going to do what I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to ask a lot of questions about it. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to think, oh, why do I do it? Or do I have to do yeah. it? Or I don't like doing it. Or I do like doing it. I'm just going to do it. And the, the just that act of, of just doing it is this state of presence. It's the state of being and letting go of, you know, the thinking mind. Yeah. I very much consider our space a ritual space. The trust the journey space, you know, I, it has supported me tremendously throughout the years that we've been doing this, not only because of the content of the conversations, I could cry. I love you so much. (sighs) Keeping it together. Um, Yeah, it's, it's important (laughs) to show up. It really is, you know, and it's amazing the, the value that you get when you commit to something And you show up for it with consistency and, and constancy. There's, there's really something very beautiful there. And I love that we can do this for others, like AKA you doing that for me. That's hence the potential tears is like, oh, Jay's there here. So you're supporting me, right? In showing up and believing in me and all these things and showing up in this space. But a lot of what we're talking about is also how we can do that for ourselves and create that sense of being shown up for, showing up for ourselves, showing up for our life in these consistent, constant ways that's that are supportive. Yeah. Oh, I feel like this is a great ending spot. Uh, I really do want to echo everything that you just said in <laughs> the sense of valuing the the consistency and the ritual, you know, yeah. it, it, it whether it's going to Boy Scouts every week to have that like known thing that I'm going to do so that that's the value in my life, um, whether it's listening, being part of creating this mm-hmm. episode or as simple as saying grace and expressing gratitude around the table yeah. before dinner. This is a ritual that I've picked up. I've re-engaged over the last number of years to consistently join hands and thank, be consciously grateful for being alive, healthy enough to be present and aware that I'm being nurtured by the earth and the planet and, I'm, and it's keeping me here. I'm sharing it with friends and family and, and life's really not all that bad, no matter how bad we think we want to make it yeah. out to be. It's, if we're still here, it's good, you know? Absolutely. So, and, you know, here's, yeah. as we go into sort of the close, anything that we've talked about today, any, for those of you listening, you can certainly take on for yourself or start to experiment for yourself in your own way. And the Trust the Journey family could be an avenue for supportive ritual. It's don't, you certainly don't need to. I'm just more saying that it's a space where there are supportive people and you could, if you wanted to, if you needed this, post there with some regularity with uh, say, I'm going to post once a week or, uh, and just see what that does for you in terms of receiving support. If you need that in your life, this is the only reason why I'm suggesting that is because it might potentially create a, a sort of avenue to support that, that you've been wanting or needing. Um, So yeah, if that resonates, by all means, certainly join us and as we said, trustthejourney.today is where you find our website and p- donate on Patreon in any amount and we'll we'll add you to that group and welcome you with open arms and great love. And as Jay always says, we express it tons of gratitude, so much gratitude for those of you in our Patreon community that are supporting us. It makes the show possible and just we couldn't do it without you with with earnestness. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed uh, reviewing on this episode. It's been helpful for me to reflect on where I'm finding value and in ritual and in seeing 
actually I'll close with the statement that I'm finding that when I maintain ritual, I'm doing a better job at self-love where I'm like, I'm being more compassionate to my own needs that way. And so I think that's been a big growth piece for me over the last number of years that I hold more space for my own, whatever simple rituals they might be so that I move more easily through this journey. And I wish the best to every all of you moving through this journey because not every day is as easy as the next and some are hard and some are great and we love you and thanks for listening yeah we love you guys 